This is the third Sunday in our series, Wonderful Counselor. We saw in the first message that the Wonderful Counselor is the Lord himself. And he is the one who made us. He is the one who knows us. He is the one who knows how to deal with the problems of the souls of people. Last week we looked at the first counseling session recorded in Scripture where God himself helped a person with a human problem, and that was Cain. And we saw how Cain got angry, got depressed, got violent. And we saw that process downward and how even the direct counsel of God himself did not change the direction of Cain's life. We went into the New Testament to study how to deal as a believer with anger, which so easily clouds our thinking. Today we are dealing with the problem of abuse. It's a sad thing to think about on a nice Sunday morning in church when we're thinking about God and lifting our thoughts up high, but the broken world that we live in is full of abused people. Does the name Harvey Weinstein say anything to you? The arrest of parents across our country who are prostituting their own children this past week in a great federal probe. They say, what in the world is going on? Every nine seconds in the U.S., a woman is assaulted or beaten. Around the world, at least one in every three women has been beaten or otherwise abused during her lifetime. Usually, the abuser is a member of her own family. Domestic violence is the leading cause of injury to women, more than car accidents and muggings combined. Studies suggest that 10 million children witness some form of domestic violence annually. Every day in the U.S., more than three women are murdered by their husbands or boyfriends. Domestic abuse. How sad that this continues in a nation like ours. How do you counsel abused people? How does God counsel an abused woman? Hagar. That's what we want to look at today. So let's pray for wisdom from God. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we join our hearts in prayer, asking you to guide us today. We need your wisdom. We need wisdom from above. So guide and help us as we study how you, the wonderful counselor, counseled Hagar in her time of need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We read from the scriptures the account recorded for us in Genesis 16. We often think of God working with the great people of the Bible, Abraham and Sarah and and Jacob and Isaac and and the chosen people. Uh, But God cares about all people. God cares about people of every nationality and ethnicity around the world. 
He cares about those who are abused. He certainly did with Hagar. Her life started in Egypt, where, through circumstances we don't understand, she became a slave. Apparently, on the slave market of Egypt, she was purchased by some people from out of that country, Abram and Sarai. This couple held to a very strange religion, not the religion of Egypt. In fact, Abram claimed that God had spoken to him. Abram and Sarai took Hagar far away from her home in Egypt into the land of Canaan. Her master was a sometimes dishonest man named Abram, and he made her a slave wife, what we call in the Bible a concubine, to him when his free wife Sarai couldn't conceive. God had promised that he would be the father of many, but his wife could not conceive. And year after year, she didn't get pregnant. They knew it was God's will for them to have a child, in fact, to have many children, and so they decided to help God along. They followed a practice that was culturally acceptable in the time. We know from law codes of that time that it was acceptable in that day. It was legal if a woman was childless to, uh, for her, to give her husband a slave wife, and then those children would be counted as her children. And like many people today, they want to do the right thing. They just go about it in the wrong way way. Well, they did what was culturally and legally acceptable, but it was not acceptable with God because he is the one that established one man and one woman for life as a biblical definition of marriage in the Garden of Eden. So now there's two wives. You say, what about this whole polygamy thing in the Old Testament? What about the whole slavery thing in the Old Testament? Interesting, isn't it? The Bible establishes what should be done, and that is what believers should do. Well, when Hagar conceived, Sarai got jealous and threw her out of the house. I understand the Chinese symbol and the symbolic written language of Chinese for trouble is a roof with two females on it. (laughs) Don't understand that completely. When Utah was being admitted to the Union as a state, the problem with Mormonism was polygamy, and and many did not want uh, a polygamous state to be allowed into the Union, and so... In that whole debate, Martin, uh, Mark Twain uh, brought his ideas, and he said the Bible specifically prohibits polygamy. Somebody said, well, where is that? Well, it says no man can serve two masters. <laughs> well, uh, the Bible sets the ideal, but the fact is that most of us do not live in the ideal. We live in the real We live in a fallen world. I don't know about you, but I came from a wonderful, dysfunctional family. 
And I'll tell you, this family of Abram and Sarai was a dysfunctional family. They had problems. And when you read through the Bible, you will be shocked at how some of the wonderful flanograph heroes that you learned from Sunday school had some big sins and some big flaws and big errors. Because the Bible is not about exemplary humans. It is about God. Every story in the Bible is about God. And if you don't know what that story tells you about God, you don't understand the story yet. No, the Bible is not merely a book of exemplary humans whose examples we should follow. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Even Paul was not a perfect man. Only Jesus. Well, into this family situation in which they try to do the right thing in the wrong way and they end up in a mess, the wonderful counselor intervenes. And sometimes people come to us for counsel and the problems are so complicated. They may go back generations. They may be complicated by so many different dysfunctional aspects. Here we have a childless wife, an impatient husband, a pregnant runaway servant wife, Hagar, all in the same dysfunctional family. Hagar was proud and arrogant. She despised Sarai, who was in charge of her in the family. She had a bad attitude towards authority. And no wonder. Sarai was bossy and Abraham was passive and evasive. Some men, the worst thing that husbands and fathers can sometimes do is just be a nice guy. Just a nice guy that just says, well, honey, whatever you think. Now, there are lots of times, right, Don? To say, yes, dear, as you wish, and things like that. But if we go back to Adam and Eve, this mess the human race is in started by a man doing what his wife wanted him to do. She offered him the forbidden fruit, and he took it. Here, Sarai offers her maid to Abram, and he takes it. Because there is something more important than pleasing your wife or pleasing your husband, and that is pleasing God. The Bible tells us that we should dwell with her according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That's what God says to husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. What he's saying to us men is, I'm going to listen to you the way you listen to your wife. I'm going to care for you and answer your prayers the way you answer your wife's needs. Our job as husbands is to be sensitive and to listen to our wives, but ultimately to do what God says, because he is more important to us than our husband or our wife. 
The New Testament commentary on this is found in Galatians 4.22, where the Apostle Paul is discussing salvation. Because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. Comparing Scripture with Scripture is the best way to study. Some people said to me, what commentary do you like? Well, I have commentaries and I read commentaries. But you know, they're just the ideas of men. I like the commentary that God gave us. The Bible itself. Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. For it is written that Abram had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. Hey, there's only two ways to live. To live by the desires of the flesh or to live by the promises of God. Hey, there's only two ways to try to obtain salvation, isn't there? There are people who, in the powers of their flesh, are trying to be as spiritual and religious and moral and decent and humane as they can be in order to be accepted by God. And they think maybe they've done well enough. And we are surrounded by people like that. Amen? People who are pretty well convinced they're going to heaven because they're better than most people. That's the way of the flesh. True salvation comes by the promise of God. Merely clinging to that promise of God who said, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. I believe the promise. That's why I'm saved. Jesus promised if I believed in Him, He would save me. My salvation is based on what God promised me, not what I in my flesh am doing for Him. Isaac, the son of promise. Ishmael, the son of the flesh. And here, even a great man of faith like Abraham who had passed so many tests of faith already in his life, flunked this one. And I hope that you are not flunking the test of faith that stands before you today. I have flunked some of those. There was a time in my life when I had financial needs and I solved them by the flesh of a credit card instead of waiting for God to provide. That's the flesh way. God said he'll supply all your needs, but sometimes we go ahead with ways that are legal, ways that are culturally acceptable, ways that seem right to us at the time to do what we think needs to be done, and it might be a good thing, but we need to be careful whether it be about salvation or finances or raising our children or whatever it is, there is the way of the Spirit and the way of the flesh. There is the way of trusting God's promises and there is the way that seems right unto a man. Abram and Sarah went the flesh route and we are still dealing with the consequences of their sin even today. Well, Abraham goes along with it again. He not only takes the maid, Hagar, as his slave wife, but when Sarai gets disappointed in her because of her bad attitude, he doesn't deal with Hagar, although he was the head of that home. He says, you do whatever you want to do. 
and she reacted in the flesh, and she got nasty with Hagar. And what did Hagar do? What a lot of people are tempted to do today when they are in difficult family situations. She ran away. She ran away. She ran back to Egypt. But that's not the end of the story. And I hope it's not the end of your story if you are running away from a harsh relationship. If you are running away from God-given and yet defective authority. Uh, She met the Lord on the way. She met the wonderful counselor on the way. And he forever changed her life, as he will do with you. The wonderful counselor confronted her. And when he confronted her on her way to Egypt, he asked her two questions. He addressed her in the position that she held in the family, not as Abram's wife, but as Sarai's maid. God recognized the necessity of maintaining those structures of authority and submission. And then he asks her two really good questions here in verse 8. Where have you come from and where are you going? Those are two great questions if you ever counsel someone. Because when we understand where we have come from, and we understand where we're going, then we'll know what to do. Amen? I love the Bible. Do you know the Bible tells me where I came from? And the Bible tells me where I'm going. Without the Bible, I wouldn't know where I came from. I might think that I came from the Neanderthals, like a man out at the state fair told my wife this week. She disagreed with him. He said, even the Neanderthals spun their... Uh, he's like, what? God made Adam and Eve as humans, fully human. Yes. We did not evolve. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. The Bible says that God created man. He created them as mature, complete individuals. He created this earth as a mature, functioning spaceship earth with everything that we needed for its use. We know from the story of Adam and Eve, we know that it's a beautiful world because God made it and it's designed by Him, but we know that something is dreadfully wrong with it and that what is wrong with it is, is centered in humanity because our first parents sinned. And we have inherited a sin nature. And we have demonstrated that sin nature in our own sinfulness. Hey, when you know where you have come from, then you'll know who you are. But I also know from this book where I'm going. Diane and I have a simple plan for our lives. We're going to serve the Lord and die and go to heaven. That's it. Because we know where we're going. And that's why we're not afraid to die. So many people live their whole life being afraid to die because they don't know what is on the other side of death. But we know it because we have the promise of God. We have the Word of God. We have the future. We know 
that when we are absent from the body, we will be present with the Lord. We will be home in the Father's house. We will be with the Lord. And we will come back to earth to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. Why? Because the Bible tells us so. We know where we have come from and we know where we are going. What about you? Do you know where you come from? That's one of the things you always ask people who get in those. So are you from around here? Where are you from? That tells you a lot about people, right? I'm from New Hampshire. I'm from New York. I'm from Fuquay, Verena. Back five generations. Now that tells me something about you, but it doesn't tell me enough. See, if all you know is what part of the country you're from or who your mom or dad were, you don't know enough. You need to know that you go all the way back to Adam and Eve who were created by God and that they sinned and that that sinfulness is passed upon us. We are a cursed race because of that. The human race is cursed and will only be delivered from that curse by what the choir sang about and you sang about this morning, the blood of Jesus. And when the blood of Jesus cleanses us from our original sin and the sins of our lives and the sins we haven't even committed yet, all sin cleansed by the blood, then we are in right relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is where you've come from. That's where you're going. Now, Hagar knew something about where she had come from, and she answered that question. She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. We think of people that ran away. We saw that Cain tried to run away from God. Jonah, the prophet, tried to run away from God. How's that going for you? Do you know it's impossible to run away from God? Everywhere you go, he got there ahead of you. And he will deal with you. You cannot run away from him. And then the Lord gives her very direct counsel in verse 9. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't spend two years in psychotherapy and try the blue pills or the green pills. He says, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Return and submit. You ever try to tell somebody to do that? Those are hard words with a runaway wife running from an abusive family situation our human tendency with anybody that's running away from an abusive dysfunctional family situation is to say you did the right thing let's keep you away and and let's let's uh let's just keep you away from that oh you poor thing bless your heart and we just want to be nice to people who have run away but God said, return and submit. That is a hard word. But it's certainly true spiritually. If you are running away from God, if you are in rebellion against God, if you are running away from your Christian background, running away from your Christian parents, 
and the church in which you grew up, and you're running away from God's morality, and you're determined to live your own way, you need to hear what the wonderful counselor says. He says, return. Come back. Come back. And submit. Boy, that's a word we don't like much, is it? Word submit. But you'll never get saved until you return and submit. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. You know, some people want Jesus to ride on the dash like a good luck charm. Or maybe Jesus to ride in the trunk in case they need him. Or maybe even let him give some directions from the back seat. But I'll tell you what, when Jesus rides with you, he drives. Or he doesn't ride. Because he is Lord. That's who he is. If you invite him into your life, he has a plan for you. He has ideas for you. He has blessings for you. He has prosperity for you. He has good things for you in your life. But you're going to have to return and submit. And the strangest thing about this is that this Egyptian slave woman who was outside of the main plan of God for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the nation of Israel. She's an Egyptian slave woman, and yet she has such grace, such humility. And because of that, God blesses her life. Return and submit. You say, that sounds like God is backing up the patriarchal hierarchy. Ooh, there's some bad words in our society today. But God has a divine order, and he's at the top of it. Then the angels, and then man, and then the animals, and then the plants, and then the rocks and the dirt. There is a divine order. There's a divine order. Disney's been trying to mess it all up by saying the animals are people. Have you noticed that? Yeah, animals are people. And a lot of, we have a whole generation now that think that animals are so much nicer than people. It's weird. I'm not going there, but, you know. <laughs> people treat their cat like a child and treat their child like a cat. But that's another story. People are confused today about the divine order in the family. They're confused about the divine order of government. They're confused about the divine order of the church. All three institutions were established by another other than God himself. And when you submit to God, you will also submit to the human institutions that God set up. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought I'm, I'm an American. I'm, I'm an individualist. I believe in running my own life. I want to tell you, if you want to be like Jesus, you'll submit. Do you realize how many boring sermons Jesus sat through for 30 years in that synagogue up there in, in Nazareth? He didn't get to preach till he was 30 years old. But the Bible says it was his custom to go to the synagogue. The Bible tells us that Jesus submitted to Joseph and Mary. Do you think they were right with all their rules and all their standards for their family? No. They were less than perfect. Fine folks. 
But he was perfect. The perfect Son of God submitted. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he submitted to the Father. Was that because the Father was greater than the Son? And the Father was God and the Son wasn't? No. The Son is equal to the Father. And yet in the Garden of Gethsemane, he submitted to the Father for your salvation and mine. He said those words that are so hard for us to say. Not my will, but thine be done. You say, well, I'll submit to God, but I'm not doing what my daddy says. I'm not going to do what my husband says. I'm not going to do what the government... Hold, wait a minute. God established those human institutions. And here he tells Hagar, return and submit. I'm not naturally submissive. I don't know about you. I worked at a Christian camp one summer up in New Hampshire, Romney Bible Conference. We had a new director, and it turned out that a lot of the people didn't like the new director. And I started hearing all the gossip about the new director. And then he offended me personally a few times, and I didn't like it either. And everybody was talking about how he wasn't doing a good job. So he had a meeting in the boys' dorm one night, and he said, I want you to tell me what you really think about what's going on here at the Bible conference. And I thought, here's my chance. I'll tell them what everybody has been saying, what everybody's been thinking. So I stood up and told him. And I thought that everybody else in the room would join with me, but they didn't. (laughs) And at the end of my little speech, Tal McNutt was his name, he said, Dan, maybe you shouldn't work here next summer. And I didn't work there next summer. But I still thought I was right and he was wrong. Years later, I was pastor at Camp Halawasa in New Jersey for the week, camp pastor. And, uh, you know, I was giving devotions to the staff and everything. And I was teaching them about how they would be blessed if they would submit to human authority and all that. And God convicted me. What about back there? Did you ever make that right? No, I didn't. I wrote Tal McNutt a letter, confessed my sin of rebellion to him and asked him to forgive me. And he wrote me back and he forgave me. Because, you know, I had a bad attitude. Any of us, we just naturally have bad attitudes towards authority. We live in a world where people hate the police. They hate the government. They hate their parents. Wives hate their husbands. We live in a world that is against God's established authority structures. He says, you be careful. God backs up the authority structure. Now, if a person has been assaulted, if a crime has been committed, you call the police. Amen? And there are some people that ought to be in jail for the abuse that they bring about. There are men and women that ought to be in jail for the abuse that they carry out on their husbands, wives, and children. That's reflecting on the job of government. But in counsel, we should not encourage people to rebel against God-given authorities. Let's go to the New Testament commentary on this very same set of people. It is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. The New Testament commentary on the relationship of Abraham and Sarah. 
They are referenced in 1 Peter 3, 6, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. See, it didn't come natural to Sarah, and it doesn't come natural to us to have a right attitude, a right heart attitude towards authority. But Sarah learned. She learned. And you and I can learn. We can improve in this area. That's what it means to grow in Christ. Starting in verse 1, in the same way you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children, if you do what is right, without being frightened by any fear. So before her, the story of her life was over, Sarah learned to submit obediently to her passive and sometimes dishonest husband, Abram. She is given as an example of submission in the New Testament, but it did not come naturally to her. She learned it in the laboratory of real life in a dysfunctional home. You say, well, if only my husband was a man he ought to be, then I could be the wife I ought to be. He says, if your husband doesn't obey the word, this is how you should be. I believe that God has sovereignly placed each one of us in the family situation in which we find ourselves. And it is in the laboratory of that family situation that God is seeking to develop the character of Christ in us. Some people think you ought to be grown up before you get married. My belief is that marriage was intended to help us grow up. That we grow in the midst of those human relationships that God has allowed us to be part of. Meanwhile, back to the story of Hagar in Genesis 16, 11, The Lord listened to Hagar. The Lord has heard your affliction, he says. The wonderful counselor listens well. He looked at her carefully, according to verse 13. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? He encouraged her with a wonderful promise in verse 10. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. With that word of command to return and submit, he gave her the hope of a promise of the building of her family. This whole problem started when Sarai wanted to build her family. And now God is going to build Hagar's family. Do you know that God desires to build families? 
Some of you have really beautiful houses. I've been to some of your houses. And there's beautiful houses in this neighborhood. Boy, are they building nice houses around here. But there's something more important than building a house. We studied in Sunday school this morning in the men's class. David said, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the Lord's living in a tent. I'm going to build the Lord a nice house. And the Lord says, no, you're not. Your son's going to build a house, but I'm going to build your house. I'm going to build your family. I'm going to build your dynasty. Building a family. Do you realize what a task that is to build a family? God was going to build Hagar's family. Hey, has that happened? Are there a lot of Arabs in the world? Do you know that that is a fulfillment of God's promise to Hagar, is that there would be a bunch of Arabs, and there is a bunch of Arabs in the world, a lot of them. I met one out at the state fair on Thursday. He was selling those wooden bowls that kind of go up and down. Maybe you saw those in that one building there. Beautiful bowls. And uh, I I said to him, I'd seen something like that uh, when I was in Israel. And he said, Palestine. (laughs) He had a little different view. Yeah. There's Arabs all over the world. And there's Muslims. By the way, there are a lot of Muslims who are not Arabs, such as in Indonesia. And Iranians are not Arabs. They are Persians. Gets complicated, doesn't it? So not all Muslims are Arabs, but many Arabs are Muslims. Praise God that many Arab Muslims are coming to Christ through ministries like Trans World Radio and other ministries reaching out to them. But here we see that God promises that Hagar will, if she will return and submit, that God will build her a great family. The other thing the Lord told her was that her son would be a wild man. Do you see that? Your son is going to be a wild man. I wish the Lord had told me. I had some wild sons myself. Look at that. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live to the east of all his brothers. This is a prophecy of God given to Hagar about her descendants, the Arabs. Yes, they would be like wild donkeys, strong and wild and free. Isn't it interesting that here the wonderful counselor tells a mom that she's going to have a difficult son? Because some children are more difficult to raise than others. Have you ever noticed that? I tell you, my kids gave me a run for my money. I'll tell you all the way along. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. Challenge. I think the Lord wanted to teach me some things. I know he was. But then I always would meet those families where their kids were like perfect. You ever meet those families, you know, where their kids do everything right? And they're always the best, and they, they just they never had to spank them because they never did anything wrong. And you know, just really these stories about people who have such perfect children and they're just wonderful. And and they usually ascribe it to the fact that, well, they had perfect parents, you know, did everything right, and and they take full credit for it. But some children are harder to raise than others, and God said to Hagar, You're gonna have a son. And uh, you're going to have a great nation, but I'll tell you, he's going to be a tough. He's going to be a tough kid. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. And the descendants of Hagar, the Arab people, have been difficult to deal with. 
Alexander the Great. The Greeks couldn't conquer Arabia. The Romans never really conquered Arabia. The British never really conquered the Arab nations effectively, certainly Afghanistan. The Russians couldn't do it, and we did it, and then, you know, it all went back to where it was before we got there. My son David spent a year as an army chaplain in Iraq and saw the devastation of war among the Arabs. They fight with each other. They are fighting people. They are desert people. And they are difficult to control, aren't they, even to this. I think the Bible gives us the key to a Middle East policy is probably that we ought to pretty much stay out of the Arab world and not join one against the other, but that's another subject. Certainly here, their hand will be against each other, and that is certainly what we see in the world today. And then the Lord helped her to see her answer when she had trouble noticing solutions to her problems. Later on in Genesis 21, 19, it says about God and Hagar, God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. A good counselor helps the person themselves understand solutions to their problems. Counsel in the heart of man is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. What was Hagar's response to the counsel of the wonderful counselor? She gets to know God. She names the Lord. She gives him a name. You were the one who sees. She names the well, the well of the one who lives and sees me. She goes beyond the solution to her immediate problem of being a refugee to coming to know the true and living God. Because that's what Christian counseling is all about. It's not just about solving the immediate crisis. It is about helping people to get to know the wonderful counselor himself. Paul said that I may know him. The ultimate goal of Christian counseling is not to cause the counselee to become dependent on the counselor, the human counselor, but to help people to learn to depend on the wonderful counselor to link people up to the Lord through salvation and sanctification so that they can go by means of the Holy Spirit to the Scriptures themselves and find the help they need from the Word of God. It's amazing the grace that we see in Hagar's life. She became the mother of a great nation. All the great Arab people groups are derived from this abused Egyptian slave wife who responded beautifully to the wonderful counselor. It says in Genesis 20:20, God was with the lad, that is Ishmael, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He liked to shoot arrows. Seems like there's some arrows flying around the Middle East these days as well. This sets the stage for the world in which we live. But we see that the key to dealing with those who are abused is to understand their relationship to the authority structures in which they find themselves and to help them to learn to have a godly and mature response to husbands, fathers, mothers, bosses at work, law enforcement officials, and government authorities, 
and even to place themselves under the care and shepherding of godly pastors and deacons who can lead them within the context of a local church. So if God were to talk to you like he talked to Hagar and ask her, ask you the questions he asked her, how would you answer? Do you know where you have come from? And more importantly, do you know where you're going? Would you bow in prayer with me? How about you? Do you know where you're going when you die? Have you faced where you have come from as a sinner? Confessed your sin to God, your sinfulness to God? And put your trust in Jesus Christ and his blood shed for you on the cross. That Jesus died and rose again for you. Have you believed the gospel? Are you believing in Christ now? If you've never trusted in Jesus, he wants you to come to him to return and submit to him for salvation today. From your heart, call on the Lord. Pray a prayer like I did many years ago. Say, dear God, I know I'm a guilty sinner. I cannot save myself. Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. Jesus, I receive you into my life as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. If you return and submit to the Lord, he will save you. If you give up your own fleshly means of saving yourself and trust in his promise, he will save you. Perhaps you say, I'm saved, but I've wandered away from the Lord. I've gotten away from the Lord. I've allowed things into my life that shouldn't be there. I've allowed relationships in my life that shouldn't be there. I've run away from God-appointed authority in my life, and I need to return and submit to my Lord. Would you do business with him and the quietness of these moments? Father, we thank you that when we come to you, You welcome us with open arms. You receive us. Whether it be for salvation or to that return to fellowship with you. We thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to us in Christ. Thank you for your grace and love shown to Hagar. And thank you that you love people like us who are often independent, rebellious. You love us, you seek us, you draw us to yourself. Thank you for your grace and mercy. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. God, we turn important pages in the life of this church. You've sent us an interim pastor. And Father, we ask a special blessing on him that he may in turn bless us. 
And Lord, for the new building that we've just completed, we do pray that as days go by, that that building will be become ever f- more full with people that want to come here and hear your word. Lord, we pray for the search committee that f- is endeavoring to find us a new pastor, that that will come in your time, and that we will, in fact, choose the man that you have for us. Lord, for Trans World Radio and the miracle of being able to transmit your word through the airways to millions of people. What a miracle that is, and we praise you for the work they do. And Lord, for the message that we have enjoyed today, for the singing and the fellowship and the giving, we rejoice in that. We thank you for that, Lord. And as we leave, let us all leave with the message in our heart that it's been good to be in the house of the Lord. See us home safely, Lord, and back next Sunday. All this we do pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.